This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league, starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV... This is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a natural food chef. I went to culinary school for food and healing in New York around 2001. And I went to a school that's no longer there. I didn't realize that, but it's called Natural Gourmet. It wasn't really all vegetarian. There was a week of meat and chicken, but it was largely vegetarian and health conscious, cooking for people who have food allergies, food intolerances, diabetes, cancer, prevention foods. This was way ahead of its time too. Back in the day, I was very interested in food and healing long before the world of plant-based foods and everything being organic and being a natural food chef, long before wheat, egg, and dairy-free and gluten-free and celiac. That was not really a conversation back then at all. Soy milk was an alternative and that was really it. And some people would eat tofu, but this world of beyond and impossible burgers and plant-based foods has really grown exponentially. Anyway, back then I ate raw for a year, which is also very advanced. Being Eating raw doesn't mean like eating raw meat and chicken, although some crazy people do that. It means a raw food diet where nothing is cooked over a hundred and I think it's like 108 degrees. People differ on the degrees. People cook foods in a dehydrator, specific type ovens to non-cook these foods. People soak grains so then you can eat them. They're soft enough to eat. And it's raw nuts, not roasted nuts. And it's, um, it's live. And it makes sense to me. Like, they're live foods. But once you come off of a juice cleanser, juice fast, you're supposed to start 
and break your fast, which is as important as the fast itself, with live foods. And to me, it makes sense. When you cook for your kids, if you're making broccoli, you'd rather it be fresh. It's as close to alive as possible. And then if you flash steam it and it's still bright green versus being like mushy and and gray green like when we were kids, it seems to me that it makes sense that it's more alive with nutrients. And the same thing, like I never understand why someone would grill romaine lettuce or peaches. It's just like a natural live fruit. So I cringe when I see people grill lettuce. I cringe when I see people grill peaches. You can go on and on. And it's not that easy to always eat a raw foods diet, but I did it for like a year and I'm very knowledgeable about this. So probably about twice a year, definitely once, I'll just feel a little sluggish. I may not be sleeping well. My skin, like it's not about breaking out, but it may just feel a little dull, not alive. And I'll do a cleanse, a juice cleanse, which I just did. And I will definitely do another rant on that because I know you're going to want to hear about my juice cleanse and detoxing. Um, But I did a juice cleanse. And then I often, after the juice cleanse, decide to go vegan, but not in an obsessive way where if there was chicken broth in some food soup base, I would freak out. I'm just not that obsessive about that type of stuff. But I'll do vegan to see how it makes me feel. And I don't really do a lot of dairy. So even in the morning, if I'll do almond milk or some sort of alternative milk, I often have that tickle and that congestion. And it's really irritating. Like you're blowing your nose, you wake up, your nose is dry. I don't know if any of you know that have that experience. And it's not sinuses and it's not allergies and it's just whatever it is. And it's maddening to me. So cleanse and then maybe something like going vegan is an interesting thing because once you go off a cleanse, you're almost doing like an elimination diet where if you add back in, let's say it's steak and you just feel really tired or really gross and you've been eating nothing, no animal, then you know that maybe it's the steak. If you simply just initially just add back in, let's pretend it's dairy and you start to feel sniffly, then you'll kind of be able to see. The point is when you do a cleanse, it's like a blank canvas So you can individually see how does caffeine affect my body? How does sugar affect my body? How does alcohol affect my body? So it's a great way to have a blank slate to be experimental. So I decided to quote unquote go vegan and it has to have been like a month now and it can be annoying. Your stomach can get like sort of like, you know, like gas pains because you're going to a restaurant. They have nothing that's vegan except for like vegetables. You get like a side of this vegetable, a salad. It's redundant. You just want to be eating the New York strip steak. And, you know, you're telling everybody no butter, which you should do anyway, sauteing with olive oil, that's fine. But I will say that you sort of feel full from all this food you're eating, but not really full. And sometimes I do the vegan, quote unquote, junk food thing, like the frozen faux wings or whatever. If there's a food that's not like from the earth and not natural and is an ingredient you can pronounce, it's junk food, even if it's vegetarian, even if it's vegan. But I really wanted to stick to it. So I said to Paul, I've been doing this for three weeks. Can you tell me if there's anything different? Because there's a steak on this menu and I want to bite it. There's lobster and bacon and blue cheese and avocado and egg on that lobster cob that I'm crying over. So somebody needs to tell me something besides that I'm not congested, which I haven't been, to, to, so I don't, you know, so I just stay on this thing, whatever this thing is and forever how long. And I love animals and I wish I could say it's only about the animals. But, and it really is because I get freaked out when I see, when I just think about the animals and the dairy is supposed to be even worse. And that's sort of a more humane conversation for another time. And I do think about that. And then the hypocrisy because I do have leather. And so there's a whole conflict with that whole conversation. And we can have that conversation for another day also. But as far as I like not having the congestion and Paul said, 
skin looks really good. And now I have good skin. I don't break out. But he's like, I don't know. It just looks like more alive. You look more youthful. You just look fresh. And he said it to me a couple of times on FaceTime from Boston. Like, you look young right now. And someone else said that to me. Now, I've also been sleeping very well lately. But I think that's also as a result of this. I wasn't in the beginning. But now I'm hitting my stride. And I'm having very deep, clean sleep. Imagine if I also didn't drink alcohol, which definitely hasn't been happening. But not been drinking a ton. So today I get my makeup done by my makeup artist because I had a day of press. And he says, your skin is amazing. I'm like, well, I had a facial last week. He's like, yeah, but you always, you you know, I've seen you before since you've had a facial. So he said, no, what's going on? You didn't change your skin products. I'm like, no, not at all. He's like, it must be the vegan thing. So I have to say, if the animal cruelty thing is not your motivation, maybe think about trying it just for decongestion, skin, sleep youthfulness sort of makes you think more about drinking water. So I'm kind of, I'm going to keep documenting how I feel. What do you think? Have you ever thought about a vegan lifestyle? My guest today is Jim Cramer, host of Mad Money on CNBC, where he helps viewers navigate the confusing world of Wall Street investing. He's a former hedge fund manager, as well as an author and a co-founder of thestreet.com. Today, we talk about why you need to embrace low points to grow, the importance of taking a break for joyous creativity, how you need to be relentless when starting your business, and why getting comfortable with rejection helps you succeed. I love talking with Jim, and I think you're going to love this episode. He is very interesting, very unique, and he has a lot to say. Hi, how are you? Good. Okay, so how's your day today? My day today has been excellent. I mean, just extraordinary because it started last night at this uh, Mira restaurant where I was uh, dining with some friends, and I got very, very excited because I realized I am now two days from vacation. <gasps> My first vacation of the year, and I am so excited because we all need time off if we're going to do great. A lot of people feel like the secret is to never take vacation. Totally wrong. And you must you uh, if you believe in that, you must uh, you must agree with me because there's a lot of strivers, self-made thousandaires want to be self-made millionaires like you who think that the secret is never taking time off. It's just the opposite. By the way, it's so funny that you say that because I always say when you relax and you sit back and you retreat, that's when the good ideas come. Like when you give yourself the space, that's when you declutter your mind and you get the good ideas. This is so true. This is a, and I'll tell you something else, Bethany. I am absolutely convinced that the week before you go on vacation is the week when you start questioning your self-existence. Should I be doing this? Am I doing the right thing? I'm really tired of what I'm doing. No, you're tired of being tired. That's who you are. And you will be so fired up that you will do the best stuff you've ever done. Well, I heard that Serena Williams said that to her husband because she used the metaphor about being a professional athlete that you need to let your muscles rest in order to perform. So for someone like you, who's on all the time and so high energy and has to be analytical and in the weeds, you literally have to be in the weeds, but I would imagine you some you have to take yourself out to get the macro perspective. You're in the micro perspective with individual stocks and investments, but then don't you have to get to the macro perspective of the state of the world and what trends are and the highs and the lows? I think that when I step aside from the day-to-day grind, I find out what's going on away from me in a way that is joyous. I mean, we will probably be talking. I can envision being with my 
fabulous mother and father-in-law and them asking me uh, about what I think about Biden and the environment. And I will say, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you the stocks of so-and-so. No, the saving trees, getting the ocean clean, things I really care about that I don't think about because they seem to not be important to my day-to-day, but are so important to the earth. And you and I know we have to do something about it. My question is, what is your personal relationship to money? Like growing up, how did you financially grow up? Did you have money, noise, anxiety? Did your parents have money, noise, anxiety? Did they instill a work ethic? You have to be, make money and be successful. What is your background and relationship with money? I think there was a clock. It was one of those old-fashioned clocks, little rounded thing. It was on the bureau in my parents' bedroom, and it was a war zone. It was a war zone because there was a 10 underneath it or a five. My father, when he left the five, knew that he couldn't make ends meet. And my mom would have to buy chop sirloin for every night or hot dogs. The 10 meant that we could have steak and chicken. And the battle over the five versus the 10 was horrendous. Went on every day. We heard it. It depressed us. But we realized what it was about. It was about my father coming home, having sold no boxes and bags. He was selling He sold games. He sold carpet. Then he sold boxes and bags to retailers. And when he came home and went right into his bedroom and slammed the door, my mother would say, go do your homework. And we would say, what happened? And she would just say, go do your homework. And that meant that my father had no sales. And when we watched Death of a Salesman as a family with the late B.J. Cobb, it was embarrassing. Because he had the same route that my father had, the exact same route. And just to be shut out, to come home and have nothing that day, nothing. Bring home the five-star Philadelphia Bulletin, but no orders meant the fiver was going to be underneath the clock. And the war would start again and again and again. Wow. So that's like real serious motivation. So you kind of had no choice but to go make money. You were going to figure out a way. I said, that's it. I am not going to let this happen to me. I have a single-minded goal to be rich to the point that my mother was repulsed. by it. My mother, mother was dying of cancer in 1985. She said, who have you, what have you become? You were an artist. You were a writer. Who are you? Who are you at Goldman Sachs? Who are you to talk about how much money you made at the dinner table? What's happened to you? And I said, Mom, I'm not fighting over the five or 10. I don't want to fight over the five or 10. Wow. So, but so, so many people want to be rich. So you went to a good school. You went to Harvard. So you were smart. So somebody wants to be rich. How do you tell people to go do it? And I don't mean at what you do for a living, but just the mindset and the journey and the approach. All right. My father was a salesman and I said, I want to get rich. I had lived in my car. That was an unfortunate time when I was a homicide reporter. We can go there. But uh, where I really realized I needed to get rich. But I, I envisioned myself on a trading desk initially when I went to Goldman Sachs after Harvard Law. And then I realized, no, I'm going to be like my dad. I'm going to be a salesperson. But I'm going to be successful as a salesperson. Not to show my dad, who's still alive, who was still alive at the time, that he didn't know what he was doing. But to show him that he put me on the right path, I just figured out how to do it. I read every one of those books about how to be a salesperson. Every one of those, those self-help books. 
And they just told you how to have confidence. I met Dale Carnegie for heaven's sake. Um, I how to have confidence, how to cold call, how to not be rejected, how to not feel rejected, how to make it so that when you said absolutely not, that meant maybe. Um, and then I taught sales at Goldman, and sales is being relentless. Uh, there was a character, uh, Bud Fox in movie Wall Street. Uh, the person who did the movie interviewed me extensively. I brought flowers to the secretaries who were the gatekeepers. I endlessly flattered people when I found out their birthdays. I was relentless. You could not turn me down. And I got the order. So it was all about getting the order. And then later on, I taught it. And then I I managed. I managed the money because I had uh, knocked on enough doors. And man, you know, when I saw, I would go to towns, small towns. Uh, at Binghamton, um, you know, a, a towns like um, Chemung, Chemung County, where you know, where Mark Twain lived. And I would go and look at the obituaries in the local paper, see who died, who might have been wealthy, and wait a few weeks and then call. Wow, to manage the money. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. Love this. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on 
you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's what's interesting, because I talk about this so much here for people who want to figure their way out. What's interesting is that every person who's successful no one's bringing up bells and whistles or new 2021 things or Instagram or filters or any bullshit. Everybody brings up old school hard work. You're talking about Dale Carnegie. You're talking about stuff that 50 years ago, if you had, if your dad had taken five courses and done sales in a different way, he would have been rich. So you're taught everybody, everybody has these tools that you're talking about, which are just set yourself up for success. And what I always say is everybody's accessible. You can find a way to get to somebody. It's the way that you do it. If you're talking about the flowers, the birthday, for me, it was cookies. For me, it's connecting, follow up, email, find your way in through the garage. So I I like what you're saying because it's comforting to people and to me to tell people you could be 65 and be successful now. You don't have to be a young kid who's a Gen Z or a millennial that knows all these tricks because tricks will not make you tricks might get you in the door tricks might be getting on tv but you will not be really successful unless you have these old school principles so i appreciate you saying that because that's what people need to hear and it's the truth but then you've come up with things brilliant things skinny brilliant but it's an extension of how hard you were it was not something that you woke up and said i've got it Eureka, how many Mark Zuckerbergs are there? Uh, I don't even know if you want to be Mark Zuckerberg. Although I found a lighter side of him, believe it or not. It is absolutely great to be a CNBC disruptor where you have come up with something that basically makes something else just say uh, irrelevant, obsolete. But how about just getting up really early, setting the alarm early, practicing, looking in the mirror about how you're going to handle rejection and just doing it with a smile. Start on the 30th floor of a 30-story building and knock on every door that had anything like equity, anything like LTD. I didn't invent a thing. 
You executed. You executed. You brought up Mark Zuckerberg. And let's pretend that the Winklevoss twins did have that idea. Who, by the way, lived next door to me. They're really nice. But they didn't execute the way he did. He's Mark Zuckerberg. So, like, the skinny girl margarita was a great idea. Don't get it twisted. It was a great idea. But it was the execution. If I, if I gave that idea away, who cares? It was the execution. I almost failed 50 times. We didn't have glass. We didn't have agave. Like, it was a pain in the ass. But I had to just jam it through like you're talking. I didn't stop. I was relentless. So you're talking about old school principles. It wasn't that I had the best graphic designer to put up a post. We didn't even post then. So that's interesting. So you're, um, well, you've obviously had successes and you've definitely had failures. So what has been your biggest success and your biggest failure, your biggest hit and your biggest shame in your career? Okay, that's good. That's good. My biggest failure in life, I remember Karen asking me what was my worldview uh, and I didn't know what worldview meant. And she said, Idiot, what do you think is going to happen over the six to nine months? I said, how do I know? She goes, well, that's your job. You've got to envision. And then you can pick stocks for six to nine months. But if you don't have a worldview, you're clueless. I don't want to deal with someone clueless. And she used to leave me things in research, like page 29. It would say, meet me at uh, Texarkana tonight. <laughs> well, you know, when you're young and in love, it's dynamite. Wow. But you had the capability to listen and know what you didn't know. In business, you need to know what you know and know what you don't know. I mean, there's a, so much that I don't know. And I don't know that I have a big worldview either. I know what I know, but I look around for other people. I, I just do what I know. Are you secretive about your own personal investments? Like, do you, in other words, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up at the racetrack. And if I, because I had a, I've had a family of horse trainers, and if I would go up to the betting window, people would want to bet what I was betting. So, and that's a responsibility. And obviously you're telling people, but are there some things you keep for yourself because they're risky or you don't want to tell people? Like, are you totally transparent about how you're investing? How does that work? I'm totally transparent because I'm not allowed to invest. I can't own anything. So, yeah, I mean. You're not allowed to invest in anything personally. I never, I've never thought of that. Sorry if that makes me stupid. I literally. No, it's okay. Most people think that I'm secretly investing. If you go listen to John Stewart, you thought I was secretly investing. Oh, no. I literally, it never, I don't no, know no, this I, world. I, that, I like totally yeah. openly. And when I buy a house, I tell people, you know, I'm happy to tell people because I'd like to think that I know what's right, but I don't want anyone to think that I take advantage of my show uh, to make money. So I don't earn anything. Well, this is fascinating. You think you would have made more money in the market or in television if if you had if they were you know two two oh, much more money in the market. That's what I think. That's so interesting. I'd never be able to even come near what I used to make every year. Then why did you? Why do you love doing the television so much? If it's got so much risk, personal public scrutiny risk, and you wanted to be rich, that was your goal. That's so interesting to me. I got rich. I got to where I had. I promised my mom on her deathbed that when I got there, I'd stop and go be an artist, go be a writer. And I write every night. I write about 7,000 words a night. I do it. My mom would have loved it. She would have said, Jimmy, Jimmy got to where he had to go with the money. And he went back to who he really was, which was an entertainer who tries to get people to own stocks and learn how to do it. I fulfilled my father's vision of making a killing. And then I fulfilled my mother's vision of once I had made the killing of doing something good, giving money away, being really societal and trying to change things. 
Uh, at this point, it's ESG. It's holding fee, uh, C, CEOs to the fire. What are you doing about the environment? What are you doing for quality? What are you doing for inclusion? So I've satisfied both my mind. Okay. Do you still get nervous about things you're telling people to invest in and like the roses and the thorns, like the things that are going to work and aren't? And what percentage What percentage are you right and wrong? Well, you know, I, I have taken big themes. And my biggest theme is I created an acronym called FANG. And I have urged everyone since Facebook came public and went to 18 to own Facebook, to own Amazon for since, I don't know, for 17 years, to own Netflix when I first watched Netflix, when it was diskettes, to own Google the day came public at 88, to recommend Apple at five. And those are my core principal stocks. And I return to them and return to them. And people say they're boring. Jim, that's all you do is return to them. I say, go to hell. Uh, they're right. And then periodically, I'll have others like NVIDIA that really are terrific. And then I'll make Ford right now. Then I'll make a lot of mistakes. But the fact is, is that my core stocks, uh, if you bet against me, you were crushed. Always little people on Twitter say, oh, I took the other side of what Kramer said. They're chowderheads and sunshine nothings. And I don't mind calling them out because I'm from Philadelphia. And I just don't care. I come right back at you, just like everybody in Philly. We come right back at you. So don't you dare come into our zone. Don't you dare. Is your investment style, if, if your personal investment style, would it be conservative or aggressive? Oh, conservative. I mean, I'm, I, I think that given my age, I can't afford to be uh, aggressive anymore. It's too risky. I got a wife. I've got kids. I've got responsibilities. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it so that they have so much money that they don't, uh, they don't look, I want them to fight over the 50 or the hundred over the, under the clock, not the five or the 10. Uh, but I want them all to work hard and I want them all to, to realize and get the pride of work. Uh, but I also am at the age where it would really be silly as I used to tell people at Goldman Sachs, you only need to get rich once. That's so true. And where, where are you on shorting stocks in your mind? Like as a principal, is that don't bet, is that betting the don't pass line? No, I mean, look at this GameStop. If you had shorted that, you got wiped out and AMC. No, no, shorting is too risky for, for the people who, uh, who watch my show. But what about just any person? Just no, you're not a fan of shorting stocks, period. No, because it's unlimited losses and it's arrogance to some degree. You think you're smarter than the market. And there are things, obviously, that are frauds, but you better have your, your you better really have it down. And for my audience, that's too hard. It's not fair. Okay. What percentage are you lucky? What percentage smart? Well, first of all, it's better to be lucky than good. Okay. But what are you? <laughs> uh, Oprah once asked me to come on her show. And talk about how lucky I was. And I get up between 3.30 and 4 every day to study. And I study till 11 at night in between shows. I do it so I can be better than everybody else. I can't always. But my homework is my craft. And my craft gives me confidence. And my confidence makes me be a lot more right than wrong. It's amazing. And people must come up to you on the street, forgetting just being famous, telling you their personal stories about, I invested this in this and I bought a house or. I love it. Oh, you do love it. It happens a lot, yeah, right? She came up to me last night at dinner saying that she had um, basically like made a ton of money watching, watching the show, wanted to thank me. Wow. And I was very grateful. Just had done quite well in life by watching the show. And I was thrilled. Uh, I get a lot more of those than I get people who uh, the, like the people who hide behind whatever silly moniker they have in Twitter who say I am an idiot because I recommended Apple and went from 126 to 123. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm proud of that. I've made a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, and you could say, well, it's anecdotal, but after 16 years, it's empirical. Or I wouldn't be on. Right. I would have gotten the hook. No, 100%. And no one's been able to really duplicate it, which is really interesting because everything is a uh, remix. So what is your personal family life like? And how do you try to be present in that and be so connected to what you're doing? And how does it all fit? I have a split family. I think it's been as good as it can be. Obviously, nobody gets married to get divorced. Uh, We all went together to St. Lucia uh, for Christmas vacation. I had a great time. My ex-wife, my wife, her ex-husband, their kids, my kids, their significant others. And it was an amazing time, a time where we do things together. This is our uh, third time doing it. And uh, you want everyone to get along. You can't always, because obviously there were reasons why you got divorced. But I would say one of my uh, four or five best friends is my wife's ex-husband. Wow, that's nice. I think he's a sensational guy. Bill. Oh, your current, your is your second marriage and your current wife's ex-husband and you. So you're good at blending. You're good at blending. You're good at interpersonal relationships, it sounds well, like. Well, how can you not be? Bill's fantastic. And um, I remember at our, uh, we had a, uh, we had at our wedding, my sister said, look at those two. Those two are having the greatest time. I want to meet them. I've never seen them. I said, I'll bring them over. And she said to Bill, she said, wow, you are having the best time. What's your relation? Uh, why are you here? And Bill said, oh, I'm the, um, I'm ex-husband bride. My wife, that's my ex-wife out there. And my sister said, you're at your ex-wife's wedding? And he said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Oh, that's beautiful. So you're doing something, right? How much do their kids love that? I'm hoping to go boating with them this weekend. I just got my wife a new whaler. Uh, we go out Father's Day for our son who loves that. Uh, I do call him our. I know he's my stepson, but I love him to death. Uh, I love his sister to death. They are the greatest. They treat me so well. It always gives me, puts me a smile on my face. Uh, I want my kid, you know, my kids are, you know, they're not as, uh, as convivial. Um, but they had a great time on the on the trip, and I own a couple of restaurants, and they both like to go by the restaurants, which is fantastic. But my my eldest teaches uh, English in Madrid, so I, you don't get to see her nearly as much as I'd like. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. Love this. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, um, I've had many different people on here that are very successful. The the metric or the the sort of filter is to have started from the bottom and be here in your own uh, non traditional way. Uh, and I'm really proud of the people because it's like I've kept it really tight. I want like people with stories like yours. But I also ask these very successful people who are often married or in relationships with other successful people. So we talk about successful relationships. So just because you're divorced doesn't mean you're not, you know, you don't know how to have a successful relationship. So what does a successful relationship require? Does it require uh, a a long leash? Does it require total acceptance? Does it require, uh, if it's important to you, it's important to me. What, What are your 
What's your prescription for that if you have one? Obviously, you have to be in love, but there's that goes without saying. Space, space. I agree. I never, I never sold my house. She never sold her house. Uh, Monday nights and Thursday nights are nights with my kids or with my buds. Always. Since the day we met. Interesting. And when was that? How long ago was that? Uh, 2005. Okay. She um, is with her girlfriends. She has her group. I love them. I have my group. She loves them. But I have my time. And she has her time. We are never on top of each other. We are people who give the other person the opportunity to lead their lives as they were before, as they always wanted. And when you take that out of the equation, they're like, hey, I don't get to spend any time X or go to the ball game Y. Your love life is, is enhanced dramatically. Okay, I want to say something to you. This is the secret that no one talks about. This is the secret that no one's telling young people getting married. Because I'm now asking every person on here who's successful and has a major career. So that makes it more challenging because they're divided. And I'm telling you, this this long leash and space concept where there are different quadrants. So I'm with my daughter. Then I'm with my fiance alone. Then we're all together with all the kids. And then he's by himself with his kids. Like there's quadrants. And it's a dirty secret that no one wants to say. People need space because when you get together, you become one person. You're almost codependent. What are we doing? What are we doing for dinner? What are we doing this weekend? And you feel like it's wrong if you don't want to do something and you want the other person to be what you want them to be. I'm the, if you're with somebody who's the boring one and you're the crazy one, you look at them like, why are you boring? I can go find excitement on my own with my own other quadrant. So what you're saying is super important and no one talks about it. My wife loves to go to Quag, little town. Uh, and, and I garden there. I love it. It's terrific. I love the Philadelphia Eagles. You know what? I mean, I just love them like always. I mean, it just Got doesn't it. matter. And I go to those games and no one's going to stop me. I never miss a game. She gets to go to Quag. I get to go to my games. I love it when she goes. But if she doesn't, I understand. And I'm with my, I'm with my friends. And that space is so important. Everyone told me I'd sell my house. Everyone told her she she would sell her house. We kept our houses. We know where to go. And we have, I mean, look, everyone's going to say, well, this is ridiculous, but it's true. We don't fight. Well, no, but uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Siminoff, who created The Ring, told me they don't think about the optics of their relationship. They don't think about what it's supposed to be, whether she's traveling, he's traveling. So that's what you're saying. So I literally am going to write this whole recipe book on this re successful relationship thing because I think I'm onto something here. I'm learning so much and it's all different. It's as non-traditional as the way that you came up in business and as how you make your living. Oh, you have to do it. I cannot wait to see my wife on Tuesday night. I don't get to see her Monday night. But if she ground you, if she ground you into being with her, you would not feel that same way. It would feel like an albatross. And I get what you're saying completely. So I love this. This is good. This is amazing takeaway. We went to a dinner uh, at Mark Benioff's. It was a, a terrific bill, a businessman, built Salesforce. Uh, it was late lunch. And we had to go around the room and it was all his board and a lot of famous people, uh, including, like, say, Tony Robbins was there. You know, I mean, guys, would, it, it's more people. And they went around the room and had to say who they were. And uh, they were all, I mean, there wasn't this person that wasn't a Titan. And they get to my wife and my wife says, I'm the CEO of this guy. And she points to me, brought the house down, 
but true. She's the CEO of me. And she pencils me in to be with friends on Monday night and Thursday night. Fascinating. You're amazing. We've had some great people on here. You, Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Handler, Matthew McConaughey. Well, I know the people who have been on your show. I, I mean, it's blowout. So I'm honored to be in your show. It's just total blowout. Thank you. I know I'm trying to keep it like lean and, and on brand. And if you know anybody who you think is should appropriate to be on the show. You know, we've even had, but it's not all famous people. We've had the guy from General Catalyst, people that you would know of that other people wouldn't know. The guy who created Kind, Daniel Lebeski. So, oh my God, Kind, uh, the CFO was that we owned an apartment. Uh, My wife loves real estate and the CFO was uh, from Kind. And I said, let us, please let him pay us in Kind. I want stock. And she said, no, you don't do that. It's real estate. I said, no, I want shares. I want points in kind. She said, no, nah, he really doesn't want to do that. What a company. Crazy. I mean, crazy. So if you know anybody, throw them over here. If you somebody who's start, you know. I'm mulling right now. I know what you mean. Titans, like you just said. Titans. Your show's about people having uh, within themselves success. Well, and, and everybody likes coming on here because I don't, I'm not asking you to hawk. You can hawk whatever you want. I'm not asking about scandal. I'm not trying to got you. I want to understand who you are, how you did it, how you think, what your father said, what your mother said, what you really, it's just a real conversation. So I'm obsessed with this. I love it. So if you think of anybody, let me know, but you were amazing and your time is obviously so valuable and I hope you have the best vacation. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on and have the best time on your vacation and say hello to your family. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Awesome. Great. That was Jim Cramer. That was interesting. That was different. That was telling. I love guests who are willing to completely reveal themselves, tell personal information, insight, just to help you. Uh, I thought it was really a special conversation and I just... Every day I learn something here and I just sit down. I'm like, all right, what's this conversation going to actually be like? And then it goes on this journey and I end up really becoming alive and just electrified. So it always motivates my day to have these awesome conversations. So thank you for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate you. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be with Bethany. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. 
We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.